Erin, I'm feeling inspired to dream again when it comes to travel. I think this past week where I'm starting to hear of countries reopening safely and starting to think about the potential for travel, both for business and for pleasure, I'm really rethinking what that means. I have such wanderlust. I feel like I'm traveling when I go into Manhattan at this point. I know. I feel like going beyond my neighborhood brings me the greatest joy, which is so so sad. But I mean, obviously, we're all ready to, to get outside of our four walls. But I also think that this year has taught us a lot about more meaningful travel and thinking about places that we want to go and spend considerable time in. I mean, you and I were on such a sort of rigmarole of like going to a place for two days because we had to for work. And it doesn't even feel like you get to experience a place. You don't get to meet the people there. You don't get to understand the culture and not to mention the carbon footprint. Yeah. No, that was always my biggest struggle. It was, you know, flying to LA for one day that felt so unnecessary, but it felt like we were compelled to because a client wanted us or someone needed us. And the reality that we've learned from this last year is it's so not necessary. And we have clients that we work with in France, and I would go for a month every summer, which I really miss, but like would do consistent work versus doing frequent trips. And I cannot wait to get back to that and to just be in a place and to get to know it. I mean, I have, I feel like I'm at that point again when I can start making a list of places that I want to go in the future. But I'm really, I so love that immersive travel where you actually get to live life like someone who lives locally and really experience a place and feel connected to a place because otherwise in some ways it doesn't even feel like I've been there you know my favorite thing the apartment swap which like has just become over the years finding someone in whatever country I'm going to and switching apartments where you really feel like you get to live their life and they're like in your apartment and I think that that's so special but I really really do want to do it responsibly and differently and you're so good at that didn't you do like the Siberian railway I did I did a little slow travel (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> from from China to Russia, it was quite the experience. I think I had a very low carbon footprint. I couldn't even shower for five days. So yeah, my water I usage, mean- zero. I'm Melody Serafino. And I'm Erin Always. We're the co-founders of Number 29, a media relations agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast. We're here because we know this planet has enough incredible places to consciously explore. And we've had enough consumptive and irresponsible travel. I mean, I have to say the place that I most want to go, which we were planning this trip before the pandemic hit, was to Iceland. I am dying to visit. I know you've been, but we we were planning this trip for work to go see some sustainable aquaculture, but also 66 North, one of our clients there, to see how they make all of their outerwear. And it feels like that could be a possibility in the near future. And also, Iceland is very connected to our guest today, who has actually been to Iceland 44 times, which kind of blew my mind. Our guest is Chris Burkhardt, who is a photographer, a filmmaker, an adventurer, Actually, following his photographs through National Geographic's Instagram and his own Instagram during this past year has been an absolute salve for me because it's transported me to places that obviously I can't be in. He's been to so many different places, but one of the things that he really believes in is that 
more immersive travel. For him, it's not about checking a bucket list of places to go. I mean, he said he's actually not even been on a vacation more than once or twice over the last however many years. He's only traveling for work, and it's really using it as an excuse to get to places that he really wants to explore and experience, and I really appreciated that. I also just think of the power of photography to capture what's happening in a place and to understand the natural world. Um, And I, I particularly appreciate these adventure photographers because that is not me. I am not a mountaineer or I'm not doing heli skiing, but yeah. I mean, the coordination of, you know, he, we talk about it, but he did a a bike trip across Iceland in crazy inclement weather and coordinating, capturing that on film while also dealing with a bike that's breaking down in negative 20 degree weather when the wind and snow is whipping and you can barely feel your extremities. I mean, nothing about that is anything I want to experience. But then the photographs from it, I live for. I mean, I've been such a fan of his work for so long. Whenever I want people to think I'm hardcore, I tell them I did a national outdoor leadership school training for 30 days in the Alaskan (laughs) backcountry. But every part of me, when I hear about what Chris does, I'm like, no, 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 I'll be in the Blue Lagoon. So I'm owning it. I want to go for a hike. I just, you know, afterwards. Yeah, I think think a nice field trip (laughs) on the side for a few hours is lovely um and then yes a a, a beautiful meal spending time in in the blue lagoon is is definitely more my speed great let's go there (laughs) done team trip if the rest of the team is listening to this we're going to iceland (laughs) this this is the test this is the test if you actually listen to our podcast and ask us when our team retreat to iceland is (laughs) you can actually go to iceland (laughs) <laughs> I love this. I can't wait to see what happens. Um, well, I'm excited to hear this conversation. I, I want to understand what was your journey to photography? How did you end up becoming a photographer, filmmaker, adventurer, etc.? It's funny because it, it wasn't something that evolved from the desire to like be creative or to necessarily even use a camera. It was all about growing up in a really small town. <laughs> the world that I knew around me just, just felt really small. And I, and I wanted to see what was out there. And I, you know, buried myself in magazines and I was kind of just drawn to see what was out there. And so when I picked up a camera, it was this idea that maybe this tool could in some way open up a door for me and take me places. And obviously I fell in love with the process. I fell in love with the the, the camera itself and pretty soon it, it evolved into something that was a full-blown obsession and passion but in, in many ways it was that desire to just know the world around me a little more I, I was kind of sick of you know the five o'clock dinner conversations and stuff like that and I just I had a desire for more and I, and I was looking for a way to uh, to experience that where did you grow up I grew up in Central California and I still live there today actually a small town called the five cities which is like five tiny tiny towns little cities and they're all coastal, and so I grew up by the beach, and, and I, I live in Arroyo Grande now, just on a couple acres, um, kind of near the ocean. So, you know, it's funny, when you, when you grow up in an environment like this, you're, you're so eager to leave, but very quickly after traveling around the world, I was like, well, this is pretty much as good of a place as ever to come back to. You know, the world kind of throws you for a whirlwind sometimes, and you, you realize, or you come to realize what's important, and maybe what was important was always in front of you all along. 
Right, right. And so, you know, we're talking a little bit about getting out into nature, and nature is so intrinsically tied to what you do. You know, you've seen it transform up close through your photography. You released a book in 2019, I believe, called A Glacier's End that includes aerial photographs of Iceland's glacial rivers, discusses the history of the country's river systems and the conservation efforts to preserve them. How has environmentalism played a role in your work and and how have you seen the planet sort of transform through your photography? I think in some way I didn't pick up a camera with the intention of, you know, speaking out on behalf of nature or preservation of nature at all. You know, I picked up a camera with the hopes of collecting a paycheck and getting stamps in my passport, right? I wanted to see the world, all those things. But at a certain point, we all feel a sense of responsibility to protect these wild places when we spend enough time in them. And ultimately, that's the reluctant path of, a, of an environmentalist, right, is that you realize in some moment that you're like, well, I'm, I'm documenting something that I love and that I fear losing most. And usually, if you spend a lot of time in nature, it is, it is nature itself. So again, it was the byproduct of traveling to some of these places, Iceland, for example, over and over and over and kind of falling in love with these glacial rivers, purely from an artistic standpoint, not from an environmental standpoint at all. And then learning what was at risk, what was at stake, and realizing that this thing I love, this thing I cared about was at risk of being you know, exploited to extractive industries. And I think that the takeaway is that you could sit there and talk to people until you're blue in the face about the importance of glaciers or the importance of, of a landscape. I think to me, the important thing is how can we create accessible experiences for people so that they can go there and form their own opinion? Because that's, that's human nature. You're only gonna care about the things you experience. And so I think photography is a tool to get people closer to those experiences, knowing full well that not everybody's gonna be able to step foot on a glacier. So for me, I think that's been a big part of the process, is kind of trying to bring people into those experiences and make them feel connected to it so that they eventually care. Because I don't want to be the person to tell somebody what to vote for or what to care about. I think that's a really important thing. And it's something that we talk about a lot, even on this podcast, is this idea that, you know, in at the end of the day, we're all sort of selfish creatures. And the things that are, resonate with us most are the things that impact us most personally. So when you're having conversations around environmentalism or sustainability, it's not often enough to say, you know, climate change is devastating our glaciers if you've never set foot on a glacier or that feels really far away to you. But to be able to see it through photography, through someone who's actually been there and can say, you know, this is what it looked like 10 years ago. This is what it looks like today. And people can actually witness that in a different way is so important. Is there a place that you've been where you've actually seen perhaps environmental change over the years? Yeah, obviously, um, I've noticed so much change in Iceland. And I guess if anything, Yes, those impacts are negative, but I think if anything, it's a challenge to know what the best, most actionable step is moving forward. Because I think that just speaking to all the detriment we're seeing in the world, I don't think that inspires people. You know, if anything, motivating and inspiring people to go see these places before they're gone or to go see them and and bear witness to them yourselves is is a great message. But yes, I I sadly have seen that all over the world. Um, And I'm you know, very aware of the kind of impacts that the human footprint has on a lot of these places. And so that's kind of been just something that I've tried to catalog myself. 
sometimes it feels like photography as a tool can be sort of useless. And, you know, I know I, I kind of said the opposite earlier, but like mm-hmm. it, it can feel at times when you do see a glacier receding very, very fast or something, it can feel like photography is a useless tool in terms of making a change there. But I would hope that through kind of some of my actions, the work that we've done to kind of preserve places that we know can be changed or can be preserved, that has the ability to make real change. And so I think that it's a matter of kind of focusing your efforts on the spaces and the places or the initiatives where you can make a difference. For me, I've, I've kind of settled on the realization that although the world is literally burning down and there's, there's fires everywhere, it's so important to realize that as humans, we can only really digest one conversation at a time. So the same goes with our environmental initiatives. Like every day I have, you know, 30 or 40 great noble causes being thrown at me. Does that mean I should accept all of them and try to, try to you know, whittle myself down to a tiny bit of effort? No, I would rather try to see through something meaningful to me through the legislative process and, and th- through policy to see real change occur. I want to shift gears a little bit because you're, aside from being a photographer, filmmaker, etc., you're a bit of an adventurer and explorer, and you just returned from a bike trek across Iceland. And I would love for you to share a bit more about the impetus for this trip, what it was like, and any interesting anecdotes from along the way, because this is a pretty monumental feat that you just accomplished. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate that a lot. You know, I, I've always tried to take the the, the advice of, of the late Galen Rowell, the photographer, um, about photography being kind of a, an activity that requires you to be an active participant, not just a bystander. And I love the idea that although photography is this first medium that I kind of fell in love with, I love storytelling as a whole. And that's really where, for me, the sort of uh, intersection of sport and storytelling kind of collides, right? I rode through Iceland's interior on a fat bike crossing coast to coast for no other reason than the fact that we wanted to see if it was possible and we wanted to enjoy this you know, pristine landscape in hopes to better inspire others to go experience it themselves. And, and it's funny because this does kind of come back to my ethos or my mission statement as a photographer, which is I wanna kind of create pathways for others to experience these places so they can form their own opinion and ultimately protect these environments, right? Moving through Iceland, under human power is such a special experience. Um, it really gives you kind of a, an awe for this massive landscape. The, the trip itself was a, was a full-blown, you know, unsupported expedition. We carried all of our food, all of our supplies on fat bikes, and, and we did cross 327 miles across the country via fat bike. And we ended that with crossing the glacier, the Midashoko Glacier, which hadn't been done before. And it, it proved to be the hardest part of the trip, including, you know, frostbite on our fingers and toes and, <laughs> and everything. Um, but we're still smiling and it was a beautiful adventure that, that brought us closer together as a team. And, and um, you know, I think that to summarize why I love these endurance experiences is, is because first of all, you get to share them with people. That's really important. But also it really strips away the kind of BS of daily life. Um, you know, phone calls or Zoom meetings or social media or whatever, and you get the most raw version of yourself. And sometimes when you see that version of yourself, you love what you see. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you realize there's changes that need to be made. Sometimes you realize that you, you show incredible empathy for others. And I just, I, I crave that type of um, connection to people in place. 
And I should mention full transparency. I know about this trip because I work with the 66 Degrees North team who outfitted you for the trip. And for those who don't know 66 Degrees North, they're a heritage outerwear brand from Iceland. They've been around for almost 100 years and started out outfitting people for uh, fishermen and search and rescue teams in the brutal conditions of the North Atlantic. So right. really and it, and it felt perfect fitting. for this. Yeah, it felt fitting yes. to work with them on this on this project because of the fact that I've been to Iceland, you know, 44 times and have known their equipment forever. And, and I think immediately upon going, we were like, well, we need to, we need to get equipment that we know is tried and tested in this environment, you know, waterproof to the burliest degree. And that was, that was a huge component of, of our success story was having access to good equipment and good gear to, to make it possible. I guess you could say it was like part part testing program, part wear testing program, part kind of um, storytelling and, and part expedition all in one. Yeah, and I've seen some of the photographs and video. I mean, at one point you were walking the bike for, I want to say, five hours in really brutal temperatures, yeah. uh, wind chill and wind <laughs> gusts. I mean, I don't think people quite appreciate the terrain that is Iceland. It is, it is really uh, treacherous in places. Yeah, it can be, you know, it can also be so sublime and beautiful and, and, and truly like you're living in a painting. Unlike other places where you kind of like, you're like, it's going to be a great day. This is amazing. You know, in Iceland, it's like you're having this uh, transcendent experience. And then 10 minutes later, you're like, oh my gosh, my nose is going to get frostbite. <laughs> and, and it really does happen within the hour, you know, within the day. And I've noticed, as always, if you do push through some of these harder moments, you, you, you tend to be gifted with these sublime ones. And I've just, yeah, I've tried to really appreciate those and, and be grateful for them when they come. How do you decide on your adventures and, and what is your process to prepare for a trip like this? Um, that's a great question. You know, obviously risk plays a huge role in the projects that I do. And I don't mean that in the sense that I'm a risk junkie or I'm, a, I'm an adrenaline junkie whatsoever. Risk to me is something that's accrued by the tolerance in which you feel comfortable, right? Taking and that amount of risk is, is ultimately, it kind of is on a sliding scale with, with your tolerance for that. Tolerance is created by your knowledge, your skill sets, the time you've dedicated. I've been there so many times and my level of acceptance for risk or my tolerance for that has grown, right? And I, and I understand that to do an expedition of any kind is a privileged experience. So if you're going to do it, you better do it in the right way. You better do it to the nth degree, right? The one that's really going to benefit you and anybody who, who you share this with the most. And for me, that element of human growth potential is, is critical, right? You, you create a space um, on any trip, a space of unknown, and those unknowns are where the fear exists, it's where the risks exist, and, and hopefully you occupy that space with hope that it's gonna work out. As I said before, I traveled the world to gain an education. And in some way, these expeditions, they're me showing this landscape in the most you know, figurative of ways that like when it does get cold and it does get harsh and the winds pick up and it's howling and you're a little scared and you can't just go into an Airbnb or go into a cabin or go into a tent, what does that mean? What, what happens there? Well, that's, that's kind of where you grow. And, and I think that's, that's what I look for. So ultimately, yeah, I, I love places that I have a relationship with. I've never been somebody who's too keen on just filling the passport with stamps, although that was my first hope as a photographer it slowly became the last thing I really cared about because I don't really pride myself on going to a million countries or, 
or a thousand countries. I, I want to go to places over and over that mean something. And that's kind of, I think, what drives me to go to certain places. How has the pandemic impacted your travels and work over the last year or has it? It has a lot, obviously. Um, besides going to Iceland, I, I didn't travel barely at all. But what I did do is when I was given the opportunity to go, I made the absolute most of it. Keep in mind, like normally I'm traveling six months out of the year and doing jobs kind of nonstop. And sadly, I don't get the privilege to work from home a lot because most of what I'm sought for is work outside of the U.S. If COVID has taught me anything, it's made me realize that sometimes when we tell ourselves, oh, this is such a cool opportunity, but I'll do it next year. I'll do it next time. Oh, it'll have, I'll, I'll do, you know, it'll be around. I, I realize that we can't talk ourselves into that. If you get an opportunity, you got to take it, right? Like it might never be there again. And that's really the thing the pandemic has taught me the most, right? Like I don't want to try to see another opportunity go by where I'm going to promise myself that some other time I'll get it done or I'll see it through because it, because it just might not happen. I, I totally agree. Actually, one of the things that really got me through 2020 was the fact that a week before the world shut down, I went to Colombia and had this really wonderful experience there that, you know, I tried to squeeze in at the top of the year. And I'm so glad I did because I think I would have felt so stuck in a different way. I am a person who likes to get out and see the world and explore and meet people that way. And, um, and I, you know, it was the one thing that's kind of fueled me through the year. Um, can we talk about your alpacas? Yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to. <laughs> so you often post about your family's alpacas on Instagram. What, what inspired you to get them and what have they taught you? You know, that, that's a great question. I would say that the, 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 the first and foremost thing is um, <laughs> I, I didn't grow up with animals. I never really had animals. I was kind of terrified of them, to be honest. And my wife, you know, she's the one who kind of brought that joy into my life and you know, now I, I went from, you know, being a kid who literally had like a bird as a pet to being <laughs> somebody who has like 10 chickens and four alpacas and, you know, a goat and, a, you know, cats and a dog and horses. A and veritable what, farm. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's a legitimate farm and a bunny and whatnot. But um, a lot of that is her doing. And we, we actually were looking into getting goats, but because we needed to protect our property from fire because I own five acres and we live in a fire area and we need something to kind of help with the management of that. And so we got two alpacas, they're amazing. They're actually good guard animals. They're really friendly with kids. They're great with the dog. Like they were just good all around. And the, you know, oddly enough, they actually poop in one spot, which is super convenient. And their, <laughs> their, um, their dung or whatever is, is some of the most usable poop for fertilization. So there were all these perks. So we got them and then we just kind of fell in love. And all of a sudden we're like, we need to breed these animals. They're so amazing. And so we did, and they're just, now they're a little pack of four. They actually, they function a lot better and it's a lot safer for them to have a herd, right? They're, they're herd animals. They can, they can die if they're alone because of sadness. Oh, wow. So, um, oh my gosh. Yeah, I didn't it's know wild. That. They're really, they're really cool. So it, it's kind of was like a, you know, we went all in and now we're alpaca owners and we love them. And so that's, it's, that's kind of the whole, the, the whole reason behind it. Well, and what a nice emotional support animal to have over the last year <laughs> to be able to go out and sort of cuddle your alpacas and have them bring you joy and spend quality time with them. That's really lovely. You have, you have young children and what do they, what do they think of what you do and how do you share what you do with them? Yeah, you know, that's a wild 
wild question because to be honest, it is so challenging with, uh, you know, I have a seven and a nine year old and sometimes I'm just like, I don't even know if they know what dad does for a living. And then other times I'm like, I don't even know how to share this with them in some ways, but I do my best, you know, when I'm on trips and I'm on travels, I try to send them videos and interact as much as I can. And um, when the opportunities are right and I'm not going somewhere that's like chasing a volcano or, you know, uh, you know, spending 10 days in a van with a bunch of stinky, stinky dudes or whatever it is, um, I try to bring my family along with me. And I think that the importance of, of allowing kids to be a part of your experiences isn't so much that I need them to know that I'm a photographer and that this is what I do. It's more so that dad makes a living appreciating nature and documenting it. And I want them to have that same appreciation. So I think what we really try to do is, is prioritize that time outside. You know, I, it's a hard thing. Cause like you want your kids to think you're cool, but the reality is they probably <laughs> never will. So, um, yes. <laughs> I, I, you know, I try to just provide opportunities for them to be inspired by what I do. But the one thing I've found with kids is that it's important to meet them where they're at. And what I mean by that is like, you know, my, my son, like he loves animals and he loves um, lizards and he's all into these things. And so it's important for me to recognize that like, as opposed to me always meeting up with him and just saying, hey, this is what dad's doing. This is what I'm up to. Look where I was. I want him to be able to teach me something as well. I want him to be able to show me what he's doing so that we're meeting each other at a space where he's teaching me and I'm teaching him. Right. No, you're not imposing your world on him but also being a part of whatever wonder he's exploring and discovering in his young life. Have either of your children shown any aptitude for photography or are they still kind of too young to appreciate that? They totally do. You know, they love photographs. Their rooms are filled with them and we've had like a bunch of small cameras for them and I'm kind of waiting for the moment for them to like really show some commitment, you know, because the hard thing is you're like, oh, I want to get you something awesome or I have all the tools, you guys need to use it. But you know, they're at that stage where like everything you give them somehow breaks and gets thrashed, right? As it, <laughs> as it should with young boys. Um, so I think it's just a matter of time. And, and what I really love is taking them out on, on opportunities when I'm shooting and they can kind of see me working or, or finding moments where like they can help me in some way because it makes them feel like so special and, and connected to that experience. That's that's really cute. And I, I would think it would be so cool to go on one of your trips with you as, you know, a seven or a nine year old and be able to sort of be out in the field and see what you're seeing and explore with you. Where is your next adventure? Anything on the bucket list or a place you've dreamed of going but haven't been yet? That's a great question. You know, to be honest, there, there's a laundry list of places I'd love to go, but I, I do take travel pretty seriously in the fact that like I can probably count on one hand the amount of times I've traveled for vacation, like, you know, two times in my life maybe, or gotten on a plane to go wow. somewhere. It's just not how I grew up. I didn't travel for vacation. I never left the U.S. until I was working, right? So every time I've gotten on a plane, it's been for work. And so I think in some way, as much as I have this list of places I want to go, but I, I always try to find an excuse or job to take me there, right? I have to find a, a reason. In some way, I just look forward to going back to places like Iceland or, or, or Norway or the Faroes or the Aleutians or the Kurils that I've been before and have a deeper, more meaningful experience, right? Because sometimes you go and 
traveling is like a drug. You know, you go there and you scratch the surface and you feel like you just got like a, a little hit of dopamine and you're so excited, but you don't really immerse yourself. And I, I aim for full immersion if I can. So a lot of projects on the horizon, films. I'm, I'm making a film about this bike trip we just did. Um, working on another film about a Native American photographer, a Dine uh, Navajo photographer named Navajo Milo, Milo Fowler, and, uh, and a couple other things of that nature. So yeah, there's, there's always a, a always balls in the air being juggled, right? Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time, Chris, because you've already been so generous with it. But I have one last question. You know, one of the things that we like to do on this podcast is actually give people a takeaway or something that they can use in their own lives to take whatever small action it is to help, you know, make better choices for the planet. And so I'm curious if there's one small step that you recommend that someone can take to and a pardon the phrase, but we say this, unfuck the planet today. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, th- to be honest, um, I'll tell you just a short story, which is that I did Please. this gallery event with Paul Nicklin in New York. Um, at his I gallery. went to it. Oh. I know I was, I mean, no I, I don't, right. I wasn't there when you were there necessarily, but I remember it was yeah. in Soho, right? Yeah, yeah. My it husband was... and I went and saw that show. Yes. Cool. I, I love that. That's epic. Um, I went to this gallery event and I was so, um, I was so blown away by, you know, I've obviously always been a, f- a fan of Paul's work and we had a conversation, Paul and I, and one of the things that he said that was interesting to me is um, in talking about Antarctica and the importance of preserving Antarctica for next generations, he said the answer or the key to like Antarctica or anywhere isn't that every person goes there and jumps on a plane and on a boat and goes there and, and documents it and sees it. It's that the right people go there. And that doesn't mean wealthy people or privileged people. It means people willing to open their mouths and share what they're experiencing. Because in doing so, you're, you're addressing and you are becoming responsible and accountable and, and holding others accountable for these beautiful places and the protection that's there. And I, I've tried to take that mindset, you know, what Paul said, and apply it to everywhere I've gone, which is that I don't just want to be a tourist. I don't just want to be a I want to be the right person to go to these places, the person who kind of opens my mouth and shares when it's meaningful. And I think that's, I guess, the, the, the advice that I have for the world is like, what makes me somebody who's willing to share, open my mouth? It can be as simple as just making sure that when you are sharing that immersive, you know, life-changing, visceral caption about a place or a, an experience you had, you aren't just simply saying, the mountains are calling and I must go, right? Because that does the whole world a disservice to simply quote somebody else. Like, give me your own quote. Tell me what you thought about this place. And and that can be on, a, on Instagram or in a magazine or in a film or what have you and, and or just in conversation. And I think that's kind of one of the answers. Um, the, the easy lift, right? The, the one that hopefully everybody can maybe apply to their own life if, if, they, um, if they find themselves in an environment they want to protect. Listening to him talk just makes me want to get on a flight to Iceland and spend a good month there and also turn off all my devices and be in the middle of nature. Yeah, and it just makes me want to really be thoughtful about where I go next and what I do when I'm there and how I act when I'm there and the time that I spend when I'm there and really just being thoughtful about future itineraries. Also, I know his photography so well. It's just so iconic, so beautiful. But to hear the story, the stories behind how he approaches his work, it's really incredible to get a sense of who he is, how he works. 
and to think about travel through his eyes and his lens. The respect that he has for the natural world when he's in these places and what he's been able to see up close and personal and the changes in landscape and terrain over the course of the years that he's been doing this job, because it is a job for him as much as he loves it and he's passionate about it. Yeah, I I mean, it is really disconcerting to think about and think back to like what Croatia looked like when I visited, how many tourists were there. like these big cruise ships that were docking and the waste that is created as a result of this kind of travel or destinations that become like Instagram famous and then everyone flocks there and just totally destroys it. I hope that we don't go back to that or that there is like a different kind of travel. And a respect for the places that we go to. It's not just about going and getting that perfectly filtered photo in front of the most famous landmark. It's really about understanding where you are and the people who live there and your impact on them when you're there and just being cognizant of what's going on around you. Also, it's so interesting because there is going to be this vaccine disparity. I was talking to Lindsay Tremuda about this recently where she's getting all of these phone calls in France from Americans who are like, so what should I do in France? And meanwhile, they're still on lockdown and I'm so curious how this all plays out and I hope it's not a lot of entitled Americans going and being like, cool, I'm ready to be served when like, meanwhile, you know, things just aren't rolling out the same way around the world. And obviously what's going on in India is heartbreaking. And we're going to put some links in the show notes to organizations to donate to. But on that note, I, I, yeah, it was such an inspiring conversation and it makes me want to do it right and spend time, the time and money the right way in terms of my, my next trip. I also love how Chris talked about, you know, being connected to a cause and not having issue ADD. Just posting about an issue is not meaningful change. And he talks about how for him, it's not about talking about everything that's going on all the time and always, but committing to one particular cause or issue and really going deep on that in the same way that when he travels, he likes to go to a place and spend really decent amount of time there to get to know it. I just think it's a a great way to look at how we can make more meaningful change because I think we all feel so compelled to have to do all these things. And by doing that, we're actually not committing to anything long term. And I think that he really is an advocate for finding something you're passionate about and going all in on it. Yeah. No, I think that that's so spot on, especially when someone has a platform as large as his where, I mean, you can't just be reactionary and, and jump onto every cause. Yeah, it's hard not to get caught up in everything because every day we feel like there's a new thing coming at us that we need to somehow try to fix. But I think it's really important to take a a, a long-term view with some of these causes and just find what we're super passionate about and dig into it. Right on. For people who are starting to think about travel again, you know, there's some great resources out there. Juliet Kinsman, who is a sustainable travel journalist who's based in the UK and has been writing on this topic for many years, is a regular contributor to Condé Nast Traveler, had a book that came out last year on eco-friendly trips for traveling, so how to be a better sustainable traveler, which I highly recommend. And another... um, A friend of mine has a book that's coming out actually later this month called Tread Brightly Notes on Ethical Travel. She's based in Nairobi. She's seen the impacts of travel in Kenya and other places around the world. And this is really a way to help people understand, you know, how do you have active exchange when you're in a place versus just passive consumption? Yeah. Well, we'll include those links in our show notes and... 
I have some reading to do and also travel booking to do. Some itinerary building to do. Yeah, let's see if we do this team trip. We'll find out on Slack. (laughs) (laughs) Enough is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Zandra Ellen. Pineapple Street Studios executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman and Max Linsky. Original composition by Hannes Brown. For more information on Chris, the books we mentioned in today's podcast, and number 29, check out the links in our show notes.